Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Morning in America's Nick Smith, and I'm so happy you're joining me for this edition of In the Mix. Here at News Nation, we cover a lot of news, but there are always a few stories that I think need a little more attention. And you know me, I always have more thoughts than we actually have time for on Morning in America. So here is where I share those with you, as well as extra content that didn't make the cut during our live show. So welcome to In the Mix with Nick Smith. All right, this week has been an exciting week because there were just a lot of things that we had an opportunity to talk about on Morning in America and do um, that just really helped to separate us, I believe, from other shows. What do I mean by that? Well, we get a chance to cover everything that... um, from pop culture to uh, current events to breaking news, of course, but also things that are near and dear to my heart, which are stories that center on the U.S. military and the men and women who have served. This week marked National POW MIA Recognition Day. Um, It was established back in 1979. And the reason it's so important is because uh, it takes the opportunity to recognize the men and women who have served who are still either missing in action or are currently prisoners of war. I think when we talk about prisoners of war, the image or person who most often comes to mind is Senator John McCain, and rightly so. Uh, But I had an opportunity to actually uh, speak with a gentleman who was also uh, a prisoner of war. And the thing that helped to separate uh, this from everything else for me uh, was the way he spoke about the importance of keeping those who have served alive, not only uh, for themselves, of course, uh, but for their families and loved ones who are uh, still missing uh, the people that they care about the most. I absolutely love everything that Charlie stands for. A national salute today for men and women who were captured by enemies while fighting for our country and those who are still missing in action. The third Friday of September is designated each year as National POW MIA Recognition Day. It's a day to show appreciation to our military heroes who endured the worst imaginable conditions while in combat, while remembering those who never returned home from the battlefields. The Pentagon estimates more than 81,000 U.S. service members are still missing. Let's bring in Captain Charlie Plum, a former prisoner of war who survived an agonizing 2,103 days to be exact in prison. He's also a graduate of U.S. Naval Academy, a former jet fighter pilot, and a combat veteran with 74 successful missions over in Vietnam. Good morning, sir, and thank you for your service. 
Good morning, Nick. Thanks for helping telling my story. Absolutely. Captain Plum, let's jump right in there because I think a lot of people at home may not even know why it's important that we recognize POWs and MIAs and why it is important that we actually find every service member who ever served. On your 75th mission, five days before you were scheduled to return home, you were shot down over enemy territory, captured and tortured. What did you do to fight for your life for almost six years while held in a community war prison? I prayed a lot, that's for sure. But I also went back through my mind. You know, when you have nothing to, to do, no books to read, no windows to look out, no TV, not a pencil or a piece of paper for 2,103 days, you, your mind gets very creative. You know, you, you can actually think back through uh, your history and think of all the things that you've done. And then you think forward and think, what is going to be when I, when I finally get home, uh, when I finally see my, my wife and loved ones again? So, um, so you do a lot of things personally, but collectively, and I think this is really the key to our success, collectively, we formed a, a team over there better than anyone I'll ever play on. We had leadership there better than ever, any I'll ever see. Guys that leaders that couldn't see us or hear us or fire us or hire us or give us a bonus or a day off. These were the guys that set the they, they set the stage. They set the rules. Captain Plum, you leaned on three of your fellow soldiers to survive and sustain. How did they help you through it? You talked about this teamwork. Break it down for us. Well, first of all, um, you know, a lot of those guys would tell you that I saved their life, and I know they saved mine just by being there for me. When you're in solitary confinement, especially if it's dark, you know, you lose track. You don't, you don't have a, a sounding board. Sometimes you even wondered if you were alive or dead. Uh, just a guy tapping on a wall on the other side, you know, shaving a haircut, and, and you tap back six bicks. Uh, it gave you a feeling that somebody cared. And somebody was was approaching you uh, physically. You were you were tapping. They were tapping, and so you knew you were real and you were alive. So it meant a lot just to communicate with the other guys. Captain Plum, I know because you weren't there, you've had these conversations when you actually were uh, able to return home. What was it like for your family for those 2,100 days? And what are families of POWs or service members missing in action feeling today? Nick, I think it's worse on them than it was on us. Every day I knew I was alive. Every day I was confident that I would be coming home someday and be better than ever. While my wife and family uh, didn't know from one day to, to the next if I would ever come home. And if I did, would I be a burden to them for the rest of my life? And, and the, the, unfortunately, the government and, the, and civilian uh, psychiatrists and psychologists felt that this kind of a situation would give us a great deal of PTSD. It turned out that only 4% of the prisoners of war came back with PTSD. And in fact, there's a new term called post-traumatic growth, PTG, that you can actually thrive in situations that are stressful. Captain Plum, I've got less than 30 seconds, but I need you to close us out with why people at home need to recognize why it's so important that we find our POWs and MIAs. As you know, Nick, the military genre is no man left behind. And we left a lot of guys behind, as a matter of fact. We're hunting for them. We hope, you know, that someday that they might be alive and come home. But it's really vital, I think, that no man is left behind. Captain Plum, thank you so much, sir, for your service. And those who are missing and uh, those who are prisoners of war will never be forgotten. Thank you, sir. 
there was a new study from the Rand Corporation that talked about how security clearances are a challenge for those who suffer from dementia. You might be thinking to yourself, well, duh, Nick, of course. But it was new information to me because I hadn't really thought about it. But more importantly, the study talked about how those who suffer from dementia are more often easily compromised and can be manipulated. And when you think about it like that, you think about, okay, that could pose a threat to national security. But it was still new information. And so we had a chance to talk to our guests about that. And I just found that um, there were some key takeaways and how it's something that seriously needs to be considered, particularly as we continue to highlight the ages of some of our elected leaders and whether or not they are at an age where maybe they should step aside. It just helped to continue that conversation and honestly um, bring more information to light. Nationwide, there's growing concern that many of America's leaders in Washington are too old to serve. From the White House to Capitol Hill, 80 and even 90-year-olds are making the country's most important decisions, despite being most at risk for cognitive decline and even dementia. This, as a new study from the RAND Corporation, finds people with security clearances who have dementia could be a threat to national security. Let's bring in Dr. Tom Pitts, board-certified neurologist. Dr. Pitts, um, how could someone with dementia compromise national security if they are privy to uh, sensitive and classified information? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, Nick and Marky. Thanks for having me on. This is a good question. I mean, that picture you just showed pretty much looks like my clinic on a given day and cognitive clinic. And, you know, the reason why this could be especially damning for national security is because there is loss of inhibition. I mean, they may say yes when they mean no. They may not be able to hold secrets. There may be more impulsivity, lack of inhibition. Um, there can be sleep disturbances and hallucinations that confound decision-making, such as who to talk to, who not to talk to. And certainly, um, you know, you, you see that they can be influenced, like I think it was uh, Diane Feinstein, where literally her aide or whoever is like, vote yes, literally on an open mic, vote yes. And she goes, okay, yes. And so that's those are some of the many reasons why national security specifically can be compromised in this setting. And to be clear to our viewers, Dr. Pitts, neither you or I are suggesting that either of our senators have been diagnosed with dementia in any way. We're simply talking about how this does affect older Americans. There are 34 senators at 70 and older and 77 House members are 70 and older. And what age does dementia most often begin to occur? And given those numbers, do you believe it's likely some Congress members with security clearances could possibly have dementia? 
Oh, yeah. And I'll just be very clear about it because, you know, we, we live in like a mealy mouth world here. Many of them have dementia. I watch them and I'm like, oh, the word finding, the confusion, the out of context answers. You know, I got sandbagged. It meant, you know, they, they fill in the, the meaning for that after. He didn't know what he was saying when he said that. I'm talking to McConnell after his last TIA or seizure, which is also being denied by their physicians. Um, you know, 65 is when it happens. That's the magic number. Alzheimer's, the most common type of dementia, followed by Lewy body dementia. Then there's Parkinson's-related dementia. 65 is the magic number. Early onset is considered to be 55. So they're way over the hump where they could be in the dementia range. Absolutely. Dr. Pitts, before I run out of time, I got to ask you, though, well, what do you do? If someone is displaying signs of dementia, how and when do you tell them, hey, it's time to stop working? Oh, they get a neurologic uh, evaluation and then they're kicked out of office. That's how it works. I mean, that's what we would do for a pilot who couldn't remember coordinates. That's what we would do for a physician, right? I mean, come on. So I just think that the, the nature of their job, we're not talking about someone who's doing just a day job at a, a general store or something like that. This is national security. So once you're found to have dementia, that is not compatible with holding that office, in my opinion. And Dr. Pitts, when you referenced Dr. Uh, Diane Feinstein needing her aid to give her that answer, that was definitely concerning for a number of people, uh, just as it was when Mr. McConnell seemed to just space out there for a second. Dr. Pitts, thank you so much for explaining it all to us this morning. I could not not include this story. Although it's not upbeat, it has been absolutely fascinating. And I'm talking about Alec Murdoch. Yeah, you remember Alec Murdoch, you know. Um, the disgraced former South Carolina attorney. He was convicted in March of murdering his wife and son. He pleaded guilty to nearly two dozen fraud and money, money laundering charges um, on Thursday of this week. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's not over. How's it not over? Well, he's also asking for a new trial. Uh, and this be, uh, is because he's saying you know what? We have uncovered information. His defense team is saying we've uncovered information that lets us know that, guess what? A county clerk may have tampered with the jury. So you have two things happening once. You've got a guy who has been convicted of murdering his wife and son saying that, you know what? I admitted to stealing people's money. I admitted to being a liar. But what I did not do is kill my wife and son. So that portion could be appealed and could be appealed successfully. Nick, wait a minute, how? Listen to my interview. Breaking today, convicted murderer Alec Murdoch pleading guilty to nearly two dozen federal financial crimes, including fraud and money laundering. The 55-year-old, who is currently serving a life sentence after being convicted in the murders of his wife and son, admitting in a federal courtroom today that he needed to be held accountable for stealing from his clients. His attorneys held a press briefing shortly afterward and had this to say. There's two things Alex will tell you. One, he stole the money. Two, he did not kill Maggie and Paul. And three, he's admitted stealing the money since he was first confronted in September of 2021 by his law Never firm. denied it. Joining me now, criminal defense attorney and former prosecutor, Peter Frankel. Uh, Peter, good afternoon. As part of today's plea deal, Murdoch agreed to submit to a lie detector test. Is that usual? Could he be asked about the murders of his wife and son? Great to be with you, Nick. Thanks for having me. So it is highly unusual. Um, and I, you know, we know that his murder convictions are on appeal. There are some very serious issues relating to that appeal with respect to some misconduct that's being alleged. 
I think it's highly unlikely that he's going to be asked about um, th those murders um, in relation to this agreement to be subject to a polygraph. I think what the federal government was trying to do was, with respect to the other investigations that they're going to be conducting, presumably um, with his assistance, because he has agreed to cooperate, mm -hmm. that they're going to utilize the polygraph in an effort to make certain that the information that he's providing them with is, in fact, true. Got it. Now, Murdoch, he did admit to financial crimes when he testified at his murder trial. Did he have no other choice but to uh, plead guilty in these other cases? You know, Nick, that's a great point. And the fact of the matter is, his pleas today in federal court relate directly back to his testimony. Uh, he had to make a choice in that murder trial. And that choice was, do I testify and try to save myself from murder conviction while at the same time understanding that he was going to essentially convict himself federally for these financial crimes? And he took a gamble. He, he at least for the moment, lost that gamble. But this was a very easy prosecution for the federal government because he was under oath and he essentially admitted to the financial crimes that he pled guilty to today. So he was left with really no defense. Peter, go back for me for a second here. Murdoch's attorney say that the court, the court clerk in his murder trial actually pressured the jury to convict. Any chance that, uh, that he's going to get a new trial behind that information? You know, Nick, I, I think there really is. I mean, you, you have to start with the assumption that for these attorneys to file a motion like this, they mm -hmm. have to have a good faith basis. You can't just make this stuff up and put it into written pleadings. So it, it, this may have some legs, and I think at very least the court is going to be compelled to conduct a hearing to try to ascertain whether or not this clerk, Rebecca Hill, actually communicated directly with any of these jurors, and if so, what that communication consisted of. Right. Because I'm telling you right now, if she in any way intimated not only her opinion, but anything to suggest that he was guilty, this case is going to be overturned on appeal in a heartbeat. Wow, Peter, go back to that, because what we're hearing is that it may have been even as casual as don't believe him because he's kind of slick, y'all. Even if it were as an aside, that could be enough to give him a new trial. Absolutely. No question about it. That'll never stand. If, if there's credible evidence that that took place, he's going to have another trial. Oh, Peter Frankel, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Okay. A simple aside, which you cannot do, could literally put everything in jeopardy. Um, that is, of course, and I want to be clear, it is possible um, that there are those who are not convinced that he is responsible for uh, the death of his wife and his son, even though a jury of his peers did find the evidence overwhelming and chose to convict. But it could be overturned, and that is part of the judicial system as well, that if it is indeed uh, proven that this clerk may have said or done something as simple as, don't y'all believe anything he says because, you know, he's good at fooling people, that simple aside, off-the-cuff remark, casual uh, reference, or, um, as the defense would argue, manipulation of the jury, could be successful in affording Alec Murdoch a new trial. How about that? That would be interesting. And of course, we will continue to follow that, not only in the mix, but on Morning in America, News Nation Live, everybody will continue to follow that one. And then I'm going to close today 
with probably uh, the story that caused the most chatter for us online. Um, and it has to do with affirmative action. And I know that even the mere mention of that topic can be frustrating to some or have some feeling um, slighted, unheard, unseen, others feeling as though um, the system is being manipulated or favoring others. Uh, so it's a conversation that I think continues uh, uh, in many homes and in many neighborhoods and many communities, but I also think it's one that needs to be had. So. The group uh, behind the lawsuits that led to the Supreme Court to gut affirmative action at higher education institutions, they sued U.S. Military uh, Academy at West Point this week. Um, and they're seeking to end the school's race-conscious admission policies. Now, I want to just say this. I think that as a uh, veteran, my view on this may be a bit biased from my own perspective. So I walk into this fully aware of my own personal biases. One of the reasons the military worked for me is because I saw men and women who looked like me at every rank and station in the United States Army. They were instructors. They were leaders. They were commanders. They were also foot soldiers like myself, enlisted service members like myself, some of whom were commissioned officers. Uh, they worked at every level of every military institution at which I served. Fort Jackson, South Carolina, Fort Hood, Texas, Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, uh, Kaiserslautern military base in Kaiserslautern, Germany, uh, Grafenwehr, Germany. So I saw representations of color. But by that same token, the military prides itself on building leaders who are academically and intellectually sound without any type of modification or assistance or uh, additional benefit given to that. So the argument is being presented that, hey, when you add race to um, this entrance process, are you substituting some of the other things that help to make a great leader? And if you aren't, then why do you need to add race to this equation? I would argue because that representation matters when you have people who are leaders, who are serving, that look like the country that they're sworn to protect and the Constitution that they're sworn to defend. Others would argue you can still get the same benefit by having intellectually sound and great leaders, period. That race should not be another qualifying factor. And that was the discussion. Now to this, a U.S. military academy now at the center of a lawsuit over its admissions policies. It's after the Supreme Court ruled back in June to severely limit the use of race as a factor in college admissions. But that ruling does not apply to the nation's military academies. Nick Smith is here with the details of the suit filed against West Point. West Nick. Point today, Marky, and it could be the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy tomorrow. A group who has become a major opponent of affirmative action is making a case that military academies, particularly 
particularly West Point, should not be exempt from the Supreme Court's ruling. The Virginia-based Students for Fair Admissions asked a federal judge to prohibit West Point from considering or knowing the race of applicants when making admission decisions, making the argument that the academy otherwise would never stop using race as a factor. This comes at a time where the nation's military service academies now enroll far more people of color than they ever have before. Back in the year 2000, only about 20% of the cadets at West Point identified as a racial minority. Compare that to 36% in 2021. Edward Bloom, who is spearheading this lawsuit, claims West Point is violating the principle of equal protection, a key component of the U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona firing back at that argument. These discriminatory admissions practices undermined the integrity of our civil rights laws. You can't consider race, but you could consider the last name of a person or whether their parent could write a check. That, to me, doesn't open doors for opportunity for a lot of students. Supporters of this push point to U.S. military recruitment, which is down across all of its branches. There are concerns over how removing affirmative action could impact the academy's ability to recruit new cadets. Adrian? They might have a few other problems on their hands with recruitment, too. Thank you, Nick. I would love to know what you think. Ooh, I just think it's so interesting. Um, yeah, so right now it's West Point, but uh, next up would be the U.S. Air Force Academy and, of course, uh, U.S. Naval Academy. So, you know, again, we try to talk about a little bit of everything here on In The Mix, and the best part about it is you've provided me with an opportunity and a space to share with each of you. I am seeing the numbers on the podcast. I'm loving it. Continue to download. Again, feel free to shoot me an email with a topic idea that you may have, a story that I could cover. I'm always open to any kind of opportunity to engage with the public or uh, approach topics and situations that you might be interested in. I've got so many things in the pipeline that I'm super excited about, including, I'll just give you a little bit of a preview. We'll talk about it next time. But I'm working on a story where I had an opportunity to speak to and work with a duo, a couple, husband and wife team, who are truckers and together. They travel across the country delivering foods and services and goods. And the whole time they are together. Ah, I would need a break. But they're saying we don't need a break because we're doing what we love with the person that we love. So if that's the case, keep on trucking, baby. So (laughs) until next time, I'll see you guys on In The Mix. Don't forget, you can watch me and my Morning in America family on News Nation weekdays starting at 6 a.m. in the East, 5 a.m. Central. And if you don't know where to catch us, you can always go to www.joinnn.com. You'll see a drop down box. That's where you enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you the broadcast channel in your area. But we're also on all the streamers Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV, as well as Amazon Alexa and Apple CarPlay. This is Nick Smith, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of In The Mix with Nick Smith.